You're listening to the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast. We hope this message speaks to you and encourages you. You can find more messages by searching Catalyst Church of Carrollton on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learn more at IamCatalyst.net. Say this with me. Say, time to eat. Go ahead. Do the little spoon and thing. Say, time to eat. So my, 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 my son, Connor, when he was a kid, he used to hide his greens in his cheeks so he didn't have to eat them. He didn't want to eat them. And it's same true for your kids. They may not want greens, but sometimes they need some greens. That's exactly what they need. Tell the person next to you, say, you need some greens. Because the same is true for you. You may hate them. You may, you may spit them out. You may hide them, but you need them. You need them. And this message today is that type of message. You may not like it, but you need it. So as you're seated, tell somebody, say, it's time to eat some greens. You can be seated. I've, I've loved, I, lo- I hope y'all have enjoyed this series as much as I've enjoyed preaching it. And we aren't even, we aren't even, cl- I don't even think we're close to being done. I don't know how long this thing's going to go. We'll see. I'll talk to you about it later. Week five, let's talk about the S words. Let's talk about them. I, uh, and before we do it, can I just jump in here? Uh, Jesus saved your life. Um, you choose to change it. Jesus saved your life. You choose to apply what he has already provided. And a lot of people love Jesus, but they miss out because they don't do much with him. And you can love him and not do much with him. Don't believe me? Look at your marriage. Oh, sorry. Not sorry. See, Jesus saved your life, but you choose to change it. And change is a choice, and it's your choice how much you choose change. Uh, Lord, right now, um, just give me an authority um, and a clarity and a conciseness to preach the truth worth living Lies worth exposing and change worth choosing. Put your hand on the person the shoulder, person shoulder next to you. Say this. Say, Lord, help them eat these greens. In Jesus' name, speak. Amen. Here we go. Say sin. That's the first S bomb I'm dropping on you. Say it loud. Say sin. Oh, yeah. I love I get to do this because one of the biggest, probably the biggest by long shot criticism of my preaching over the last several years, people like to tell me they, they'll write it. They'll tell other people to tell me through them. And some people just man up and face right up to me and say it. It doesn't bother me. I'm just saying. But they just, um, I've had to get thick skinned to, to stay in this thing. Um, so the biggest criticism is this. Uh, you don't preach on sin enough. The thing is, I preach on it all the time. I just don't always say the word when I say it. But I love the word. So can we right now three times back to back say sin 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 actually just do it again so I make up the next several weeks that I don't say it say sin 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 I love the word sin. I'm going to tell you why I love the word sin. It's simple. I'm a simple guy. I've got to make things simple so that I can wrap my brain around it so I can be able to say it to you and actually make some sense. Sin is a simple word. Sin simply means missing the mark. Anytime, I mean, that's as simple as it gets. We try to make these textbooks. There's a, there's a, in theology, I had to take it in seminary. There's a, the theology of sin is called hemartiology. Sin is simple. Missing the mark. When you miss God's best for you, God's heart for you, God's will for you, when you settle for anything less than his best, it is, say it with me, sin. Sin. Scripture teaches this. 
I'm about to drop something. Tell somebody, say, I'm ready for some greens. You get to choose what you're going to do. You can hide them in your cheeks like Connor, uh, or you, you, can, you can spit them out, but I'm about, to, I'm about to feed them. Scripture says temptation comes from our own desires. I hope you caught that right there. It doesn't come from your weaknesses. It comes from your strengths. Because where your strengths are, the things you're good at is where you let your guard down and think you got it. We're always waiting for this big thing to happen in our weaknesses. No, you're probably your weaknesses where you focus more because they're the things you suck at. The things you're good at is where you got pride. Sorry, I need to shut up so I can get done with this message. Uh, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I want you to catch that. He says, uh, James says, sin starts... Temptation starts in our own desires, in our own desires, our dreams, our prayers. You wanted to be a successful and honest businessman, and uh, success caused you to lose your values, one decision and dollar bill at a time. The pressure you put on yourself to provide for your family uh, eventually caused being a husband, a wife, and a parent uh, to take priority over, or excuse me, it calls it to take you eventually lost your priorities, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you develop some bad habits coping with the pressure and expectations that you put on yourself or that other people put on you and you allow them little by little. That eye candy that you saw from across the room, you thought it was God answering your prayers. But no, she had dumps like a truck because she was broken and carried a lot of baggage and that's how you build them dumps sometimes. Because the devil can have blue eyes, a six-figure salary, can sometimes quote scripture like Satan could. It can be the family you always wanted, the opportunity and open door you always wanted. And James says, be careful because missing the mark often starts where your prayers get answered and your dreams and your desires. The, the, the Bible calls, says that the enemy comes, Satan comes as an angel of light. So thankful that I got taught real young that a lot of times we, we make the devil out to be ugly. Shoot. Lucifer, devil ain't ugly. Lucifer could sing beautifully. And what happens is you begin to make small decisions. You begin to make small decisions that build up and weigh you down. And before you know it, your life is contaminated. You are a long way from where you should be, used to be, want to be. And you don't realize it. And we, our entire lives, we wait. We fear this big decision. But sin and missing the mark and totally not living from the will of God in your life and what he wants for you and what he has for you, it doesn't happen one big mistake. It may culminate by one big mistake. But it happens one decision at a time. That is how sin strangles, strangles your life. Say this word with me. Say profitability. 
in business and church because church has to run like a business sometimes. You have to have smart. I mean, if we didn't run the church with some business principles, the church wouldn't make it or grow. Have the same 30 people till we all die and then the church wouldn't be here. Profitability, well, same in life. If you don't invest your resources in places that are profitable, you either are broke or you're going broke, trust me. Same with your life. If you don't make decisions that are profitable, you are going to lose. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me. We love that part. We're Americans. I can do what I want, say what I want. It's a free country. And Paul says it, he affirms it. He says, all things are lawful for me. But then he says this, but not all things are. Read that with me, profitable. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up. And there's some things in your life that you may not, you may not admit, you may not want to see. Some things that when people who love you are challenging you, you may push them away. There's some things in your life they are not building your life up, they are breaking your life down. They are weighing you down. They are stressing you out. And it is sin because it is not building you. It's breaking you. I want to skip past 1 John. If you're following on your bulletin where my outline of your notes are, I want to skip past 1 John because I decided for the sake of time I want to spend some more time in the next scripture. In John chapter 8. Uh, y'all know we're, we live in a culture that when we have to address cultural, problem, cultural problems or character defects, uh, we like to use the excuse, um, don't judge me. That's our go-to. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Try to turn this up. Don't judge me. If you say that America needs to work on some things, you're anti-American. If you challenge the church too much, you're anti-church. If, you're not, if you don't agree with me, you're against me. It's a go-to. And we love the story. We love to throw this story out about Jesus. Uh, it's the woman called in adultery. We love this. We love the Jesus one-liner when he says, uh, uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Oh, we'll say that one. Don't judge me. So what happened in that story, and I'm going to show you like we missed the whole point of the story. What happened in the story is uh, uh, the religious people uh, set Jesus up to fail. They wanted to destroy his uh, credibility. So this woman who was caught in adultery, they probably set her up for adultery. Uh, and by law, she's supposed to be stoned to death. You're like, that's crazy. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. They'll say the same thing about us in a few hundred years, promise you. And uh, so they wanted to set him up. So they got the rocks ready because they wanted Jesus to make the call. If he doesn't say killer and stoner, then he's a lawbreaker himself. If he does say killer, or excuse me, if he saves her, let me start over. If he saves her and says don't kill her, he's a lawbreaker. But if he does what the law says and kills her, he's no different than they are. And that's what he wrote his ministry on. I'm different. This is different. And so this man is in a no-win situation and he handles it brilliantly. He says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Cast the first stone. But that's not all that happens. Watch this. After they dropped the stones and walked away... Because they realized they got, they're the ones that got, in the, got put in the catch 22. It says, when Jesus raised up again and asked her, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Another translation says, has no one judged you guilty? 
She answered, no one, sir. Then Jesus says, I also don't judge you guilty. You may go now, but say that with me. But don't sin anymore. We love to say that. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But Jesus immediately, he didn't try to blast them on social media. He waited till everybody walked away. We try to blast everybody and prove them wrong in front of everybody. We want to embarrass them. We want to have the conversation for everybody to see. Now, keep in mind, Jesus waited till everybody was gone. They dropped their rocks. They were gone. But he addressed the situation right there. He bent down with her and he said, okay, sweetie, is anybody here? Anybody left to throw rocks at you? No, ma'am. No, sir. Neither am I. I'm not going to throw one at you either. But you need to go and, and don't come back here. Go and sin no more. I saved your life, sweetie. You change it. I saved you. You change it. Don't come back here because what we do is one decision at a time. This is where we are. And this is where we want to be. And one little decision at a time, little dishonesty, little here and there, we come back and back and back and back. And Jesus is telling this sweet girl, what you're doing's not working. And I just saved you from being in a hole you were never going to get out of. Repentance is that way. Amen. Forward. 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 And so what we do is we try to escape. We don't like the scriptures that challenge us. So we, we have got outs. And one of the outs is you can't judge me. You don't know me. No, God knows you. And when somebody says something that hits too close to home, they know you too. And Jesus said, hey, they can't condemn you anymore. But you know what? You can condemn yourself right now. Don't, come, don't go here. Don't stay here. Forward. The word repentance in the Bible, I know it's been mispreached, mistaught. Repentance simply means changing directions. Changing your mind and changing what you're doing because there's some things in your life that are not profitable. They will not get you. And there's some things that you probably don't even think are big deals, but they are. And Jesus says, sweetie, it's not working. Don't come back here. Y'all, God has opened up so many lanes in your life. He has made Hall of Fame holes for you to run through. He has taken you out of situations and circumstances and sat your feet on solid ground, and you go back to the same thing. You go back to the, dating the same people, hanging out with the same people, hanging out in the same places that got you heartbroken. Oh, ain't nothing going to change in those places in relationships. Nothing. Nothing. And Jesus is telling this sweet girl, there is nobody here to condemn you, but you get to choose if you're going to condemn yourself. Everybody loves to say the quote. They love to say, you can't curse what God has blessed. Yeah, but you can. You can choose not to walk in it. And God wants so much more for you. And what we do is because we live, we're very, we're very spoiled. We're very entitled. We live in a country that we have, out of all the churches, out of all the body of Christ in 2,000 years, we are by far, by long shot, the most privileged. All of us. Every race, every uh, demographic, we are spoiled. The people on the streets don't know what poverty is compared to other people on the street in other parts of the world. 
So what happens is we like to, because of that mentality, that spoiled mentality, we like to, uh, we hate, we like to sidestep decisions that we need to make. So what do we do? We use our freedoms to push people away and push change away. Standards are for you. So I'm going to preach on it today and I'm going to say the word sin. Standards are for you. Integrity is for you. It's not for God, it's for you. Honesty and boundaries are for you. It's not for God. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. And so sin is a, sin is a, is a we don't like the concept of sin. And sure, it's been abused because it's been taught that sin, that sin in your life, that, that, that changing and repentance is for God. No, it's for you. It's for you. Can you just tell the person next to you, say, it's for me. It's for me. And tell them, say, it's for you too. Boundaries in your marriage is for your protection. God's a big boy. He, know, he made every one of us knowing what we're capable of, good and bad. He knows what you're capable of more than you do. And boundaries in your marriage are, protect, are, a, are a protection for you. Not for him, for you. Honesty is protection for you. It's, it's, it's not for God, it's for you. Bible says the truth will set you free. But we're so busy trying to use social media to set everybody else, tell everybody else the truth. But the Bible doesn't say the truth will set your best friend free. Okay, can we just do that right now? Can you like do all your fingers so that there's nothing pointing? You. Me. See, when we don't want to be honest with ourselves and our own business, we like to tell everybody else's. We do. When we don't want to address the sin and the places in our life that we are missing the mark and crippling what God wants to do in our life and we can't even enjoy his blessings because we have so much pride, we like to tell everybody else's business. All the people that I know, I've never, in 15 years of Facebook, I've never seen anybody that doesn't just, everybody I know their personal stories that lashes out on social media, they're hurting way worse than the people they're lashing out against. Because we don't like to confront those things that we really need to confront. We rather sidestep them. And we live in a time period where we have way more resources to do so. And that doesn't mean you're just, what that means is you're going to die having never lived. You may have a lot of bank, you may have a lot of success, great business, great kids. But you're never going to find what you're looking for. You're never going to find what you're looking for. It's for you. Loving your enemies is for you. Not being greedy isn't not being greedy and being generous isn't for the church. It isn't for God. It's for you. If you've ever heard me, when I do any type of giving, I will never, if we had our last penny and we're shutting down, I would never beg you to give a dime to this church. Don't do me any favors. Generosity isn't for, isn't for me, this church. God, it is for you, and you're the one that's going to lose being, being greedy. You can have a ton of money or have no money, but you will never enjoy what you have until you learn that it's all his. Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen. Greed, generosity is for you. It is a principle for you. It, it, I'm going to say this. Because I realized that for years, I, a lot of principles that helped make me who I am, I feel like when we grew so fast before COVID, I feel like I started appeasing people. 
I stopped saying the things that a lot of people in our church were struggling with, and I, I was ashamed. So here's one of them. And it's my sin of not saying it, and I, I will do so no longer. My own pride, because it, the, the big crowds felt good. You know what I'm saying? I'll get to that S word in a minute. Abstinence is for you. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. We started reaching so many people that I stopped even telling people that I was 29 years old and waited till I got. Angie was my first kiss. We say that's some archaic principle. Well, here's the principle. It's not for, a, listen to me, abstinence isn't so that you don't hurt God's feelings. God don't want you to prematurely break your heart. And here's what happens. This ain't just Jesus and principles in the Bible. This is psychology. Passion, premature passion and intimacy blinds you from truly knowing somebody. And so you end up spending years with somebody you'd have walked away from in a few months if you just kept the passion down next so you got to know that they weren't the person you were supposed to be with. So I do not apologize by telling you that it is sin to let passion blind you from a person. It's not sin because it hurts God's feelings. It's sin because it is not good for you and it will hold you back from the person God does have for you. Or I'll go this route. Maybe the person that you're dating is the right person but you share more spit than words and the world and circumstances define your relationship before you even get to so the principle of not the principle of Angie and I if you're around us much we'll make you sick we make our kids sick because we are some of the most passionate people when we argue we'll embarrass you too it took Garrett about five arguments to say, are y'all going to be okay yet? But now he's like, just rolls his eyes and keeps, keeps moving. I'm going to my room, play Xbox with my, with my soundproof headphones. Passion blinds you. And you'll swear they're the right person. You don't know nothing. You can have incredible chemistry, incredible sex, and absolutely no compatibility. And you won't know it till a decade later of broken lives. And for some of you, you married them, had kids, and you're going to pay for it the rest of your life. And God set those principles in place not to condemn you, not for the church to use his fear tactics. It makes me sick the way, we, the, the way churches preach uh, abstinence to our youth. We make them feel like if they have sex before, marriage that they're terrible people those principles are just like honesty it's just like everything else God is trying his best to put you in a position to receive what he has for you they are for you not for him I will never preach on sin to guilt you I want to show you that God loves you so much and he will, he will not leave you the same if you will let him alcohol is the same way Man, I, I was a peep for so many, for this place grew so fast and we were, you know what? We were reaching a lot of people, addicts. We still are. But I stopped saying, I, like, I, I felt like I had to give disclaimers of why I don't drink. I didn't, I didn't even say, y'all, this, this ain't just scripture, this is social psychology. Go look up the facts and stats. Almost, almost all domestic violence and divorce, there is somehow alcohol related. 
I don't tell grown people what to do and what not to do. And I don't drink alcohol because I'm a pastor. I don't drink alcohol, number one, because of my background. It is unwise to open that door. And I decided when I was like 10 that I was going to pull that plug from the power source. But I'm telling you, there are a lot of people in here right now. And I don't tell grown people what to do. And I know what the Bible says. And if that's your first go-to, then you're actually, the problem is with you. Because if you're going to say, but the Bible says this, well, John the Baptist didn't drink, Jesus did. I get it. But let me tell you this. There are some of you, you need to stop drinking so much right now. And there's some of you, you need to stop drinking because you're, the way you're drinking at 20, you're going to pay for it a heavy price. And so are the people that love you at 50 or 40 or 30. And God wants to save you from those things. And if you will get honest with yourself, if I would have taken a drink, if I would have done the drugs that everybody in high school told me, you'll one day do it. If I had of, I wouldn't be standing up here right now. I wouldn't have Angie. There's no telling where I'd be. Sin isn't something we have preached. Sin is something that's for God. It's not for God. It's for you. It's, 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 not, it's, it's for you. The Bible says this, Acts 3. Uh, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then, say then. then. What happens when you turn? Then times of, say that word with me, refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Where will that come from? Presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus. Again send you Jesus. Notice he, he said again. So these are people who love Jesus, but they had to let him back in their life. These are people who loved him, but they let him back in their life. He says, well, send, again send you Jesus. Repentance, y'all, is not for God, it's for you. Forward. Being honest is inconvenient. It's not easy. Being responsible for your mistakes is not easy. Being accountable is not easy. Doing the right thing and making the right decisions is not easy. And admitting when you didn't make them and step back and try to make them make things right, making it, it's not easy. But just like Jesus told the woman at the well, all the people that can condemn you, you're not condemned by me. The question is, are you going to forgive yourself and get up and move forward because repentance is that way? I know you've been heartbroken. I know there's some things that have really disappointed you. I know some things got off the rails in your life, but it's that way. It's that way. And don't, I hope that you're not listening here right now and wondering about who, so who needs to hear this message because you need to Michael Jackson this message. I'm talking about the man in the mirror. Because it's for you. Not your neighbor, not your sister, not your ex. It's for you. God loves you too much. He died to forgive you. But are you going to forgive you and move forward? Tell somebody, say selfishness. I got to know I got to move quickly. Selfishness. Israel, were in, they, were in, they were entitled. They were very spoiled. Uh, they used to always throw around that we're the children of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. That was how they did they were entitled with this. We're the, we're the better. We're blessed. We're better. We got, we got the bloodline of Abraham in us. And John the Baptist dropped the mic on them right here. And honestly, all of us with that mentality. John the Baptist says, and do, not, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
Woo, boy, I see why John the Baptist got beheaded because that hits too close to home right now. Today, 2,000 years later, he says, just because you're God's chosen people, just because Israel are the promised people, don't you dare. God could make these stones. Yeah, I could see him right now baptizing people. And John, you see these stones? He could make them. He could replace them because he doesn't need you. He wants you. I'm going to tell you, five years, I never thought. Five years, I, there, this church has made it without people that I never thought it would make it without. I'm talking start to finish. I could name dozens and dozens. And guess what? It would make it without me. I hope you don't ever have to find that out until it's time for me to uh, step back as lead pastor. I hope it's a long time from now. But I'm going to tell you, if God is in it, nothing can stop it. He could make a lead pastor a catalyst out of stones if I got my, got my, heart, off, got my heart off. This is not my stage. This is not my church. God doesn't need you in your, if you, if you ever decide not to be grateful for your family, he can remove you from your family. If you think that the job can't make it without you, he can remove you from the job and it can grow 10 times bigger than when you were the supervisor and you may not like it, but the truth is he can raise up stones. And this is really hard. But it's really good news. I want to preach this to you as peace, as freedom. Because it's really good news for those who need a savior. But it's not good news. It's not good news for people who want to be the sinner. Who need to be needed. Who need to outdo and outperform and one up. Say selfishness. Selfishness. That's the S-bomb I want to talk about for a second, selfishness. Every sin you will ever commit, and I could, you could ask me privately because I don't have time to run over. We'd be here all 10, 13 years. You'd die before we left. Every, the root of every sin is self-righteousness. It's not what you do, it's why you do it. You get to the core of it, there is not a, every sin is self-righteousness, which is the mentality of I got myself here. I can handle it. I don't need a savior. There is not a sin that we will ever commit that the why it's a sin is the motive behind why we do it. So, so self-righteousness is the I can handle it mentality. So all my people that you want people to read your mind, you're like, and, and you won't tell people when you need help, that's selfishness. It's pride. A lot of people who get successful, they get their way to the top and they forgot how they got there and who got them there. Selfishness and pride. You do good for people, but you were selfish because of why you do good for people. Well, they didn't tell me thank you. Would you do it for a thank you? For real, do you do it for a thank you? Because that's selfish. If you blessing somebody or being their support and you don't get a thank you for it or get patted on the back, if that bothers you or makes you any less, if you would have, any, if you'd have been any less inclined to do it, if you'd have known that was going to happen, that's on you, not them. Amen. Codependency and trying to fix people is selfish. We love to talk about narcissists and their selfishness, but codependency is selfish. You um, Because codependency, you find your value 
in fixing people and helping them find their value. You're not attracted to broken people. I, I hear that all the time. And most of the time, they're not in counseling anytime. I'm just attracted to broken people. No, you're not. You just like to fix them. You do. You like, I, I get it. I get it. I'm telling you, I fight it every day of my life. I've, being a pastor, it's a, I have to really be able to walk away from a situation and say, no more. It's selfish. It's selfish. What you do is you're trying to fix them. So what happens is, you know how many marriages I've seen that uh, fall apart when the prayers get answered? Because there's nothing left. There's no more work to do. No more fixing left to do. So you weren't attracted to them. You just got your worth. Made you feel worthy by fixing them. And there's nothing left to fix. So then you got to look in the mirror. Well, realize we're selfish. We are self-righteous, and it cripples, it strangles everything God wants to do in us. Your kids, your kids, I'm telling y'all, we live in a culture where our kids are our God. I'll tell you one thing, me and Angie, when we got married, when we started dating, I told Angie, I said, baby, these four kids are, will be my kids. I don't, I don't like that. Every now and then, they'll use the term stepdad because, let's face it, Connor's got a way sexier beard than me, and it looks awkward unless he says, hey, just want you to know our story's weird. But it's our story. I said, these are our kids, but these kids will be our priority, not our identity. And what happens is, if they do well, you do well. And if they fail, it's your fault. Neither of them is true. That's selfish and it's pride. There are kids that are, some of you, you're like, I raised my kids perfectly and they grew up and they're still broken and it's my fault. No, it's not. It's, It's what life is. Your kids choose just like you choose. But we have this pride because we want to take that pressure to make ourselves feel worthy. And the thing is, we can't let God be God because we'd rather do that. self right, And then we want to blame God when it doesn't work out. Selfishness. Selfishness. Bible says pride comes before destruction. Says pride comes before destruction. Scripture says this For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. If you let competitiveness, ambition, bitterness, pride, insecurity guide and control your life, it will. It will. And it'll never be enough. Paul says, When you do things, do not let selfishness. Or pride, be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. Oof. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Man. Bible says esteem others is better than yourself. Y'all, we live in a culture where we are compensating for the whole rigid, uh, the, you know, self-love. You know, but the extremes of self-love are selfish. Because if you want balance in your life for taking care of everybody else, it's not balance to go the other end and try to just be selfish and inward yourself. That won't work either. Ask yourself in your heart. Ask yourself, what do I want and why do I want it? What am I spending my money on and why do I spend my money on it? How do I treat people and how do I let people treat me? If you really want to ask yourself those questions, you'll see 
where you lie. And we're all selfish. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? This is a problem we all got, but God is for, is for us, not for him. Tell somebody, say greens. greens. I know it's some greens. Shame. Shame. Shame is when you let. Shame is when you let your past define you. Your mistakes define you. What other people did to you and what they think about you define you. It's what shame is. I've seen, I got some people online right now. There's no doubt whether you're watching live or later. I got some people online. I know the culture we live in. I know people that you don't come to the, you don't come in person because you live in shame. Because shame tells you that you can't look anybody in the face because it's hard to look yourself in the face and you've let shame cause you to disconnect and I want you to know shame doesn't have to control your life shame you've let it define you it's hard for you to show up at gatherings and where you're happy gatherings because shame told you that you don't deserve to be happy because you deserve what your consequence you deserve consequences that is shame You're an addict or you're a recovering addict and all the pain that you've caused and all the things that you've done and allowed to be done to the people you love and you think that you're not deserving of the will of God because of shame. Shame. And some of you, you don't understand. You're like, you look at your life and you're like, man, I hadn't even been through that much. And I'm just as broken as the people who have and you feel weak. That is shame talking. Back in 2012, I was an associate pastor at my church, my former church where I kind of got my feet wet in ministry. And um, my pastor, who I was under, then fell off a roof. And for four, I think like four, four and a half months, I stood in for him. And I'm talking about we won as a church. That church grew more in those four months than it had uh, in years. By Christmas, we were packing the house. And I mean, it was a hard season. People that didn't like me didn't come to church, but it still grew. And that's my mentality now. Hey, you leave, there's a seat somebody else needs to sit in. But even in that season, that season, I remember preaching. I remember on my birthday, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was December 2nd. It was my 27th birthday. I remember looking out and seeing a packed house. But this gray feeling of inferiority over me. Shame. That I could, how am I going to lead them? When we started Catalyst, so we start Catalyst and um, we're doing the construction at our old location. We started over there by Little Caesars and, um, and uh, that corner, which is now a bar again. I see pictures. I had been in there. I'm like, man, I can still see myself on that little stage all over the place. We're all doing a construction. I remember this, this crippling feeling of inferiority because all I could do was be the gopher and go get lunch because I can't even change a tire. You go, don't let me paint. I'll screw everything up. And I remember thinking, how in the world am I going to be their spiritual leader when I can't even handle a hammer? And, um, and for a lot longer than I care to admit, I led and preached like that too. Inferiority, that's shame. That's shame. It's shame. And what you do and what you've done doesn't make you who you are. What you believe does. I'm going to say that again. 
what you do, what you've done, what's been done to you, what people did to you doesn't make you who you are. It does not define you. What you believe does. It does. And here's the gospel. Here's the heart of our Father. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. All my parents, you love your kids. You love to just lift their chin and lift their head and say, hey, you're going to win. You love to lift it. It's funny how thousands and thousands of years ago, they called the Father, our Heavenly Father, the lifter of our head. He loves you. Shame has no place when you truly know that love. Mistakes don't beat you when you truly know that love. He is the lifter of your head. He loves his sons and daughters. Romans says, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You can be accountable. You can be accountable. You can be honest. You can take consequences. You can pay the price here, whatever fines, whatever jail time, whatever whatever relationships it costs you. You can do whatever you need to do if you truly in your heart know that there is no condemnation that comes from your heavenly father. A lot of us, we like to say that verse. We like to say there's no condemnation, but truly we feel it and that's why we project it. We don't practice it. Shame doesn't have to control you. Paul said, as the scripture says, whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. Isaiah, the prophet, spoke many years before. The Lord says, come, let us talk about these things. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though your criminal record looks bad, the best is yet to come. Your seven marriages fell apart. The best is still yet to come because you are loved by God. Hey, you got a learning disability. You got trauma. You got PTSD. You got credit card debt coming out your ears. White as snow. One step and one decision at a time. Though your sins are deep red, they can be white as wolf. That is the gospel. When you are alone and your decisions have left you with nothing and nobody. My single mamas, my single daddies, my single grandparents, whatever you got. My marriages that are strained, my addicts, my people that are in debt, people that are crippled by anxiety is all you do to come today. Listen to me. Do not let shame define your life. Let your heavenly father define your life in every, you, you live your life one decision at a time. One decision at a time. Quit letting confusion of the 100 steps from now dominate today. No more. Tell somebody, say no more shame. No more shame. Say it with authority. Say no more shame. Say it like you mean it. Say no more shame. Sin and selfishness can't control you when you got no more shame. Will you bow your heads with me? Will you stand with me and bow your heads? We are here for you. We are here for you. Sometimes you got to lay it all down. And Jesus said, whosoever will may come. He said, whosoever will can come and drink of the water of life freely. Notice that word freely. 
Jesus can change your life. He can heal you, redeem you. The Bible says he's a restorer. He's a rebuilder of homes. I know you grew up in a broken home, so you had no choice but to raise your family in a broken home, but it can stop today. Some of you, you've just let sin and bad decisions dominate your life. No more. No more. You can set the precedent, fathers and mothers, for your children. One step at a time, they'll see it. You'll live it. It's time to lay it down, and that's what we're here for. We're here for. So right now, if you need to invite Jesus in your life, or you're like the book of Acts where it says that they need to let him back in, that times of refreshment need to happen in your life. I want all hands raised, and I want us all to declare it together uh, for the benefit of everybody else here. If you're to, Let's declare it. Say this with me. Say, Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus. Take my life over. Take my life back over. Rebuild it. Redeem it. I choose you. I choose life. One decision at a time. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for living for me. I live for you. Say it like you mean it. Say, I live for you. And if you said that prayer in your heart today for a first time or again and you need us, we're here online. My email's coming up on the screen right now. Reach out to us. We'll have somebody contact you as soon as we can. We love you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know your story. Let us know how this message impacts your life. You can message us at info at imcatalyst.net. We're here for you and we are for you. If you have a prayer request, you can message us at prayer at iamcatalyst.net. To keep up with what's going on at Catalyst Church in Carrollton, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jesus cares about you, we care about you, and we hope you join us again on the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast.